she's an ordinary woman working an ordinary job in some factory in the Midwest. She shows up faithfully every morning to work. She punches into the clock. She works hard all day and punches out. But one day her foreman pulls her aside and tells her that there's going to be a new employee who's going to be working alongside her. And this man arrives and they start working next to each other and they get to know one another. They share each other's stories. They share each other's pain. They bond. But at the end of a week, the new employee, the man, has something to share with the woman, something to reveal. And he tells her that he's not just some ordinary new hire to work in this factory. He's actually the multi-millionaire CEO of the whole company. Now, if you can't tell, I'm just describing the plot of a television program called Undercover Boss. And at the end of that week, this woman's whole reality has changed. She realizes, I've been working alongside, I'm friends with the boss. And her reality changes from that moment. What we study today in Scripture is what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. In many ways, it's the episode in the Gospels of the big reveal. Up to this point, in some ways, Jesus has been operating as undercover God. But in the transfiguration, a big reveal is given, and we realize who he truly is. He's not just some ordinary teacher, not just some ordinary rabbi. No, he's God himself. That's what we see in the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John, who accompany him to the Mount of Transfiguration, just like that woman on the factory floor, their lives are changed when they realize who they're working with, who they're walking with. In fact, we know that Peter, James, and John's lives are changed forever because the example of their lives is evident in the New Testament. Both Peter and John write about this incident in their letters in John and in 2 Peter chapter 1. I encourage you to go home and read that 2 Peter chapter. It's Peter's description of this very incident. It's great. But all three of these men become pillars of the early church. The transfiguration changed their lives forever. And what I hope for us today is that when we look at this story, when we go up onto that mount of transfiguration, we too would have changed lives. Our realities would change just a little bit when we realize this big reveal of who Jesus is, who we're walking with when we're walking with Jesus. So let's look at the story together beginning in verse 1, chapter 17 of Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Wow. Jesus' face shining like the sun. Peter, James, and John would have immediately thought of an event that they would have known the story of well. They would have thought of Moses, who had gone up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 34 tells us that when Moses comes down the mountain after having met with God, his face was shining from having been in the presence of God. But notice something with me. This story of the transfiguration is different than that story of Moses' face shining because here it says that Jesus' 
face itself was shining like the sun. Unlike Moses, whose face was simply reflecting the glory of God, his was reflecting the light of God. Now the light, the source of the light, is not coming from something outside of Jesus. It's coming from Jesus' face. What's happening here? What is Jesus communicating to us? He's showing us basically a glimpse of what's true in the heavenlies. In the book of Revelation, we learn that when we get to heaven, we won't even need the sun because the light of Christ will outshine every other source of light. There's Jesus seated upon his throne, his face shining for all eternity in glory in heaven. That's the reality. And up on the Mount of Transfiguration, all that really happens is the veil is pulled back just a little bit and heavenly realities shine through into earthly realities. The, the reality of who Jesus is, his divinity, his seat upon the throne of the universe is simply peeking through, it's shining through the veil into earthly realities. That's what Peter, James, and John are witnessing when his face shines like the sun. Sometimes heavenly realities shine through the veil here on earth. I actually got to witness something much more mild than the transfiguration, but I got to witness something this past Wednesday. I got to witness heavenly realities shining through into earth. Let me tell you about it. I had the great privilege on Wednesday of joining Pastor Richard from Pivot Ministries in Bridgeport on the beach, where we got to baptize five Pivot students who have given their lives to Christ. And we had the whole Pivot choir out there. They were singing and we were praising God and we read some scripture. It's a public beach, so all these passers-by were looking on and curious about what was happening. But I saw heaven poke through. I thought, saw heaven shine through into earthly realities when Pastor Richard and I brought one man at a time way out into the ocean where it was deep enough to baptize. We started with the first man, walked him all the way out there and had him say his vows, committing his life to Christ, dunked him in the water and came back out. And right at that moment when he came out from the water, I heard something. And it was coming from the beach, not where the pivot guys were, but way over somewhere else. There was a woman who was doing her exercises. She had her trainer out there. She had her yoga mats out on the sand. She was exercising. But when she saw the first man get baptized and come back out, she stopped what she was doing. And she started shouting and praising and glorifying God with all her might. She was going crazy, just praising and clapping and singing. And I noticed that it happened with the first guy and I was walking him back to the shore. He's dripping wet. And I noticed what was happening with that woman's spontaneous praise. And I said to this man, and I ended up saying it to all five because she did it for all five men. I said to all of them as they were walking back to the beach, you see that woman over there? See what's happening? That's simply heaven breaking through. Do you know that in scripture, it says that when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. So that woman praising God over there, she's just doing what all the angels in heaven are doing right now because you have repented, you have been baptized, you have given your life to Christ. Sometimes heaven shines through. I got to witness it on Wednesday morning in this woman's spontaneous praise when she saw young men coming to Christ. 
and heaven broke through, heaven shined through on the Mount of Transfiguration simply to reveal to Peter, James, and John and to all of us through the Gospels that Jesus wasn't some ordinary worker, some ordinary teacher, some ordinary rabbi. No, he is God himself. So let's pick up the story where we left off to find out even more of what this means. Because you might be thinking, well, that's great. Heavenly realities are awesome. But I have to deal with some big things here on earth. How can those heavenly realities shining through help me deal with the biggest things in my life? Well, Peter, James, and John would get an answer to that. And so will we if we read the rest of the story. Let's pick it up in verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses and Elijah suddenly appear. Jesus' face is shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah suddenly appear alongside him. Why Moses and Elijah? Moses and Elijah for Peter, James, and John, and for all the God-fearing Jews in Israel at the time of Jesus, these were by far the biggest personalities in their nation's history. They were the biggest figures in their religious history. These were the pillars of the faith. Moses, the great lawgiver, the one who formed the covenant between God and man in the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses dictated their every move. Every day was defined by how they were following the law of Moses, what they ate, what they drank, what they touched, where they went, who they were with. Moses was a giant in their lives. And Elijah, the great protector of the faith, who had protected the Israelites from false religions and who represented all the prophets of God who speak spiritual insights into their lives and who would look forward to the coming Messiah. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, suddenly appearing next to Jesus. Ah, maybe heavenly realities are going to start speaking to our earthly realities, the biggest things in our lives. For Peter, James, and John, it was Elijah and Moses. For us, maybe it's other things that we have elevated to be the biggest things in our lives. But the presence of Jesus in the midst of those big things gives us insight into earthly realities. Let's pick up the story then in verse 4 to see how the disciples respond. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I've heard this scripture taught and preached a number of times, and I think what we often tend to think about this, this impulse from Peter is that he was just thinking all wrong, that he was, um, he, he was so enjoying this amazing transformational experience that he desired to build tents and stay there. And I've heard sermons say, you know, don't try to just revel in the glory of God. You have to walk down the mountain, go back into our everyday lives. And I think that that is partly true. But I also think that Peter, in this impulse of building these three tents, I think he's half right, actually, what's happening in his hearts. Recall that Moses and Elijah were the towering figures of the faith. And Peter has just witnessed the face of Jesus shine like the sun. I believe that Peter was elevating Jesus from where he had him 
estimated at before. Oh, Jesus is a, is a teacher. I know that he can supply miraculous bread and fish. I know that he can walk on water. Those are fascinating miracles, but I don't think in Peter's heart or any of the disciples' heart, they had elevated him quite as high as someone like Moses or someone like Elijah. So Peter, I believe, is half right. He says, oh, I see Jesus is being elevated here to be as high as Moses and Elijah, three-tenths, equality. Uh, these three figures are on equal footing. But notice what happens next then in verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. I almost find this to be kind of funny. Peter's still speaking. He's like, hey, Jesus, we can build these three tents and these three. And this bright cloud comes in and interrupts him. He's still speaking. What is this bright cloud? Some describe it as the Shekinah glory of God. I believe that it's a manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. We are about to hear from God the Father through his voice. We know Jesus is in the picture. And now the Holy Spirit completes the Trinitarian picture of this event. A bright cloud comes and overshadows them, interrupting Peter. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, why did Peter need to be interrupted with this bright cloud, this Holy Spirit interruption so that God the Father could speak these words? I believe it's because Peter had elevated Jesus not quite high enough. He said, okay, equal footing with Moses and Elijah, the Holy Spirit interjects so that God the Father can say this one. God the Father could have said, these are my beloved sons. Listen to the law, listen to the prophets, and listen to Jesus' words. But God the Father says, this one, this is my son. This one is divine. This one whose face shines like the sun. This is a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a divine being. I'm calling you now to listen to him. And so he's elevating Jesus even higher than Moses and Elijah. How do the disciples respond when that earthly reality, when that heavenly reality speaks to their earthly reality, when they get revealed that Jesus is God? Look what happens in verse six. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. They are, they are spontaneously Worshiping. This is the appropriate response to what they've just witnessed and heard. Jesus' divinity has been revealed before them. They've heard God the Father's voice. The Holy Spirit hovers over them like a bright cloud. They fall on their faces in fearful worship. Kind of like when they had witnessed on the boat the great storm that they were scared about and they witnessed Jesus' words speak authority over the wind and the waves and it says they're filled with great fear. They're worshiping. They're realizing the higher power that they are in the presence of. Spontaneous worship is the appropriate response when Heavenly realities shine through to our earthly realities, just like that woman on the beach who couldn't help herself but praise God when she saw the baptism happening in the ocean. When heaven breaks through, we worship. Now, verse 7, the story continues. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Jesus now calms their fears. But I love this detail that he walks over to them and he touches them. Why does he do that? Well, his, his divinity has just been revealed. But he needs to remind them and us that he's not just fully God. He's fully man as well. Do you remember after the resurrection when Jesus appeared in the upper room once again and they don't know how he got in there because the doors were locked and they're wondering if they're seeing a ghost and Jesus takes some fish and eats it. He's revealing that he's fully man. He's fully God and fully man. He walks over to the disciples and he touches them as if to say, it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm fully God and I'm fully man and I'm right here with you. And the heavenly realities are here on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of what happens sometimes in, in the car to me when I'm driving down long stretches of highway. Nancy's in the passenger seat. What happens is my, my mind can drift. I suddenly kind of just go up into the heavenlies myself. I start thinking about people to pray for. I start thinking about my next sermon. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm nine miles above planet Earth. And Nancy will notice that I'm about to miss our exit. I'm about to miss a turn. So from the passenger seat, she'll gently reach over and touch my leg to remind me that we need to turn. And when she does that, I'm usually very startled because it's as if my being has gone from nine miles above planet Earth and it's crashing down into earthly reality. She touches me and it brings me down to Earth. Jesus walks over after his face has shined like the sun and he reaches over and he touches the disciples to say, I'm, I'm here. I'm on earth too. I am fully God and fully man. It's not just that his divinity is revealed. There's one more detail that God has for us. And it's in verse eight. When the disciples lifted up their eyes, it says, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus only. This is not a detail of the transfiguration we often think about. We picture the transfiguration. We see Jesus' face shining. We see Moses. We see Elijah. We see the tents that Peter is imagining. But this is a very important detail in the text. After Moses and Elijah have been there, God the Father speaks saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. They lift up their eyes again, and Moses and Elijah are gone. No one is there but Jesus only. Remember, in the Greek, there's no punctuation. There's no underlining. There's no highlighting. There's no exclamation points. This scripture was written in Greek. And something interesting happens in the words here. No one but Jesus only. The word Jesus is surrounded by the word no twice. No one but Jesus only. As if to say, you know, that spot where Moses was in the scene and that spot where Elijah was in the scene, those spots are blank now. No one but Jesus only. It's a punctuation mark saying Christ alone is God. The two big revelations that we see on the Mount of Transfiguration are one, Jesus is God, and two, Jesus only is God. Don't try to create three tents in your heart where you're going to fill other things that you're going to put Jesus on equal footing with. No, those go away. Christ alone is our God. So that's what the transfiguration reveals. 
And how might we live in response? What would be our takeaway? As these three men were walking down the mountain with Jesus at their side, what would be their takeaways? And what's our takeaway, having heard this story once again today? I believe that there are two takeaways. The first one is, is really clear. It actually comes from the words of God the Father in chapter or not verse 5. I love it when God the Father gives practical discipleship takeaways for us. Did you hear it? He said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to him. I bet Peter, James, and John walking down that mountain side by side with Jesus, realizing who they're working with, who they're walking with. The big reveal has, has happened. Undercover boss, undercover God. The, the veil is lifted. They're working with God. I bet they listened carefully to every word that came out of his mouth. They probably drifted. They probably made mistakes later. In fact, we know they do. How amazing is it that Peter would still deny Jesus three times the night he was betrayed? We all make mistakes. We all drift. But our takeaway, our reminder today is to listen to him. He's God. He's not just a rule giver like Moses. He's not just someone who tells us how to behave. What would Jesus do on the bracelets that we sometimes have? He's not just that for us. He's not just Moses. He's not just a person who gives us spiritual insight like a prophet, like Elijah. No, he's God himself. And when he speaks, he speaks with all the authority of the universe. He created us. He knows us. When he speaks, we listen. We don't have the privilege of having him here on earth with us like Peter, James, and John did, but we have him spiritually present. We can pray to him, say, Jesus, speak to me. We can hear him speak through the red letters of our Bible. We can hear him speak in the wise words of Christ followers around us. But that's takeaway number one. When we realize who Jesus is, that he's God, we listen to him. And the second big takeaway is also evident in the text. It's simply to worship, to worship this one who walks with us, who is God. Peter, James, and John, when they witnessed the transfiguration, they fell on their face. When heavenly realities broke through to earth, they worshiped. When that woman exercising on the beach saw heaven breaking through in the lives of these men, she worshiped. And so are we called not just to listen to Jesus because he's divine, but also to worship him, to live lives of worship, spontaneous praise. Let heaven break through. Let the light of Christ shine through into this dark world. He is God. He alone is God. We listen to him and we worship him. Amen.